Hello, my name is Anna, and if you're into scary stories and creepy real-life happenings, then I think you will love my podcast. Let me tell you a scary story. Join me every week as I read to you stories of the paranormal that actually happen to ordinary people. These are things that can't be explained and don't always make much sense, and they are sure to intrigue and to give you the shivers. So join me on your favourite podcast listening platform and let me tell you a scary story. Welcome to State of Fear, where terror is homegrown. Join us as we take a drive down dusty back roads and discover the obscure and dark history of this country, human and otherwise, that lurk in your backyard. Welcome to State of Fear, episode 44, Texas. Today we discuss the, Today we discuss a trio saved from a deserted island after living on coconuts and rats. Then we get into the myths of tainted Halloween candy in the case of Ronald Clark O'Brien of Deer Park, Texas. I'm your host, Chris. Joining me is my good buddy, James. Hey, James, how's it going, bud? Doing great, man. How you doing? Sorry for the yeehaw, but I just can't help it because this is our home state. This is our home state. That's right. We, yes, we it are is. Texans born and bred here. Welcome to Texas. That's right. Everything's Y'all. bigger than Texas, mostly the barbecue. Yep. Yep. Uh yeah, so we're we're it took us forty four episodes because we, you know, we get around actually I think we forty four full size episodes. We have a bunch of mini episodes, but um yes. you know, we're we're finally here. We're glad to be here in our home state and um covering Something different, not a serial killer, not a cryptid, not a ghost, but a urban legend that turned out. Actually, I think we did that recently. We did an urban legend turned out to be true with um, what was it recently? We did that. It was um, oh god, uh, shit, caught me off it? guard, man. Caught me off, yeah. Guard. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <don't matter>. <laughs> <laughs> also, I want to take this quick second to remind you guys we have a hotline now it's a, a telephone number you can call and give us your your story your your scary creepy unusual story whether it's paranormal or not but if you have some sort of personal encounter with anything give us a call leave us a voicemail we want to play on the show we want to hear y'all's stories and we know you guys have them uh and that number i believe is james 713 yeah, now just give us a call, leave us a voicemail, and then we'll play it on the show. And, and, and we'd love to hear all your guys' crazy, crazy stories. Um, also, if you guys could take a minute, not even that, like less than a minute, go on Apple, 
or if you're not an Apple, anywhere else, but we really want to try and push the Apple ones. Uh, just give us a review. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Uh, good, bad, or indecent. Just give us a review. Give us a rating. Actually, from what I understand, the reviews don't matter so much. It's mostly the ratings. Like you could put a one word uh, sentence in the, the review and just say good or show or dick or whatever. But if you click those five stars and then add your one word, that really helps to boost us up and to be seen and found by more people. And uh, yeah, so if you wouldn't mind taking a quick second or if you know someone who has Apple, ask, ask them, take a quick second and uh, just go give us a quick rating and uh, that'll help us out a lot. But yeah, so we're we're getting ready to uh, dive into the, the six sick case of Ronald Clark O'Brien. But first, uh, why don't we go ahead and get into your weird news of the day? Well, let's just dive right in. What the hell? I can't help it. I got to do it anyway. <laughs> Yeehaw! All right, y'all. Today's story is from my favorite site for weird news, Metro.UK. I love <laughs> these guys. I can't help it. They got yeah. some of the coolest weird stories. Now, this story oh, may they, not seem so weird odd, shit. but you know, it just seems like normal stuff. But today's weird story is titled, Three Saved from Deserted Island After Living on Coconuts and Rats for a Month. Story, Gross. yeah, rat burger. I guess uh, John Spartan could be all right with it. You know, he ate rats. That's if true. Anybody good, knows who that good is? Good point. Yeah, it's a, it's a rat. It's a rat burger. <laughs> hey, it's not bad. All right. Story was written by Harrison Jones, dated Wednesday, 10 February, 2021. Three Cubans have been rescued from a deserted island in the Bahamas after reportedly living on coconuts and rats for 33 days. Hey, same amount of days those uh, those Chilean miners were trapped underground. Of course, Good. they they were in a much more perilous situation, if you ask me. They did not have coconuts nor rats. No, they did not. The trio were airlifted to safety by U.S. Coast Guard on Tuesday after being spotted waving flags during a routine air patrol. Various local media reports suggested the group had lived on conch shells, rats, and coconuts while struggling to find fresh water. The two men and women told rescuers that their boat had capsized in rough waters between Cuba and the Florida Keys, leaving them stranded in Anguilla Cay, according to reports. In a tweet, everybody's got a tweet, I swear to God, <laughs> the Coast Guard explained, rescued the three Cuban nationals stranded on Anguilla Cay. A helicopter crew transported the two men and one woman to Lower Keys Medical Center with no reported injuries. Earlier, it had been tweeted that it was, quote, assisting three people who have reportedly been stranded on Anguilla Cay, Bahamas, for 33 days. An air station Miami HC-144 Ocean Sentry air crew had dropped a radio, food, and water with a video showing a package being dropped out of a plane. 
Mike Allert, the aircraft commander of the helicopter, told ABC News that the helicopter hoisted the group off the island in a 30-minute rescue. They were then brought to the Lower Keys Medical Center in Key West, Florida, with no reported injuries. They already said that, damn it. Officials said, adding that they were fatigued and dehydrated. Well, you think... Mr. Allert said that their conditions were good considering how long they were stranded and a lack of fresh water on the island. Lieutenant John Dougherty said, quote, I am amazed that they were in such good shape. That's pretty extraordinary, Local 10 reported. It was incredible. I don't know how they did it. Now, that's the end of the story. But, but in a follow-up to our story, Metro News can now confirm the three were assisted by seven experienced island survival experts living on the island since September of 1964. They were a bit old and some were dead, but managed to show the trio of castaways several ways you can utilize coconuts to include hut building, radios, exercise bikes, and even an old school phonograph. But as fate would have it, the seven were not rescued and continued to live in exile. They could not identify the islanders, but the survivors did say that the fat one kept calling the skinny one Little Buddy. So, oh my god. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, you, you got me. You fucking got me. I thought you were serious follow-up. And... Hey, can I write or can I? You can write. Now, hey. I should have known something when you said some of them were dead. I'm like, how are some of them dead, but there were seven of them? That make, makes no sense. Well, I just had to add that to it because the story was in the weird news, but really it's not all that weird. Yeah, you survived on rats and coconuts, so it's more of a human interest piece than it is really a weird news story, but uh, hopefully that put a little twist on it. You know, and I thought about uh, going the Gilligan's Island route in my intro, but I was like, no, because I couldn't really tell if they were on a cruise and how long they were on a cruise, but uh, <laughs> I was like, mm, I think I'll just skip it this for this time but um yeah i wonder how many rats they actually ate that is well, disgusting 33 days i bet you they ate mostly coconuts you think so yeah they had to now uh they they might have just said they quote unquote ate rats they could mm -hmm. have had some birds heck they could mm -hmm. have beef jerky we don't know what they had when they went on the island but true, you know you, the, the, none of that can be confirmed but yeah just slight dehydration and stuff yeah i can get that but anyway now, I, the I, coconut water would have kept them from being dehydrated though it's actually a really good electrolyte so it's good electrolytes but it also gives you the shits yeah there's a lot of sugar in it too so yeah it, it gives it it's like a natural laxative it's one of the natural laxatives so and no i did i didn't just learn that from castaway with tom hanks i did not learn it there i knew that beforehand so they came back <laughs> they came back in their best weight ever let me tell you yes they did that's what you call a cleanse right there Okay, so as I said before, we are going to get into the uh, myths surrounding tainted Halloween candy and the atrocity that is Ronald Clark O'Brien. So you mess with Halloween, man. You mess with Halloween, that's your ass. Don't don't yeah. let me catch you. 
man, you you upset a lot of people. It's it's a lot like how like I'm I'm getting a little worried because uh, I feel like they're starting to try to push Halloween further out or further away. Yeah, because they, they they keep putting damn Christmas shit out earlier and earlier. I'm like, no, don't put Christmas shit out in, in uh, uh, October. Hell no. Yeah, Halloween's my favorite holiday, and I remember when this shit happened. Mm-hmm. I was young, and then they, they all of a sudden the trick or treating started to vanish in in uh, Houston, so it was not good. Well, and Deer Park is a uh, suburb of Houston, so this is also a local story. Yes, it is. Please continue, good sir. Poison candy myths are urban legends about malevolent strangers hiding poisons or sharp objects such as razor blades, needles, or broken glass in candy and distributing the candy in order to harm random children, especially during Halloween trick-or-treating. These stories serve as modern cautionary tales to children and parents and repeat two themes that are common in urban legends, danger to children and contamination of food. We should probably put a stranger danger to children and yeah. contamination of food. That's that's a little more, a little more appropriate. Yes, sir. Now, but no cases of strangers killing or permanently injuring children this way have been proven. Commonly, the story appears in the media when a young child dies suddenly after Halloween. Medical investigations into the cause of death have always shown that these children did not die from eating candy given to them by strangers. However, in rare cases... Adult family members have spread the story in an effort to cover up a murder or accidental death, as we'll find out later. In other incidents, a child who has been told about poison candy places a dangerous object or substance in a pile of candy and then pretends it was the work of a stranger because kids are jackasses. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's just uh, the evil in someone's heart to be able to just do something like that. It just It's beyond me. This behavior is called the copycat effect. Folklorists, scholars, and law enforcement experts say that the story that strangers put poison into candy and give that candy to trick-or-treating children has been thoroughly debunked. Bullshit. Several events in the late 20th century fostered the modern-day candy tampering myth. In 1959, a California dentist, William Shine, gave candy-coated laxative pills to trick-or-treaters. He was discharged... I'm sorry, that's a bad joke. He was charged with outrage (laughs) of public. (laughs) Not bad. Not bad at all. He was charged with outrage of public decency and unlawful dispensing of drugs. In 1964, a disgruntled Long Island, New York woman gave out packages of inedible objects to children who she believed were too old to be trick-or-treating. The packages contained items such as steel wool, dog biscuits, and ant buttons, which were clearly labeled with the word poison. Though nobody was injured, she was prosecuted and pled guilty to endangering children. The same year saw media reports of live-filled bubblegum being handed out in Detroit and rat poison being given out in Philadelphia, although these media reports were never substantiated to be actual events. Now, another notable milestone in the spread of candy-tampering myths was an article published in the New York Times in 1970. This article claims that those Halloween goodies that children collect this weekend on their rounds of trick-or-treating may bring them more horror than happiness and provided specific examples of potential tamperings. Reports and copycat incidents peaked shortly after the Chicago Tylenol murders, which were first reported one month before Halloween in 1982. 
This incident involved a murderer who added poison to a few bottles of over-the-counter medication after the medication had been delivered to stores. For nearly 30 years, University of Delaware sociologist Joel Best has been investigating allegations of strangers poisoning Halloween candy. However, he never identified a single confirmed example of a stranger murdering a child in this fashion. The only example of tainted Halloween candy was found in the case of Ronald Clark O'Brien. On October 31st, 1974, O'Brien and his family, wife, Danine, son Timothy, and daughter Elizabeth, had dinner with Jim Bates, his wife, and their children. When they finished up, O'Brien and his two kids joined Bates and his family on a hunt for candy. At one point during the evening, the fathers and their children stopped at a home, but nobody answered and they left. O'Brien then drifted behind the group, but he came back running a short time later, waving five 22-inch pixie sticks, straws packed with a powdered candy. I remember those, man. Those things held like five gallons of Kool-Aid in them, man. Those things yeah, were awesome. Yeah, those things are great. Those give you the biggest damn sugar rush because there's so much sugar in those damn things. Yep, but it was also the biggest source of, uh, yeah, fear yeah. amongst parents when we were little. According to O'Brien, he had stumbled upon, quote-unquote, some rich neighbors who gave him the expensive treats. O'Brien distributed a giant straw to each of the three kids. He later gave one to Bates' daughter, who had stayed behind, and another to a 10-year-old boy from the O'Brien's church they encountered while out trick-or-treating. The fun evening ended with the O'Briens returning home, where Timothy and Elizabeth's dad told the two each could choose a last piece of candy to enjoy before they went to bed. Unfortunately, Timmy couldn't resist the oversized pixie stick, and he didn't seem to find the missing staple normally holding the top shut out of the ordinary. That's what saved another boy's life that night, said former Harris County District Attorney Mike Hinton to Vice. They found him in bed with a sweet in his hand, but he wasn't strong enough to undo the staples. Police managed to confiscate that boy's cyanide-filled pixie stick and the three others before the kids could open them. Ugh, man. However, before bed on Halloween, Timothy poured the sugar from his pixie stick straw into his mouth, only stopping because the sweet-sour treat had a bitter taste. O'Brien then told his son to sip on some Kool-Aid. It seems like it wasn't long before he was up and complaining his stomach hurt and he didn't feel good, O'Brien later said in an interview with Associated Press. That's incredible, though, because cyanide is like an instant killer. Especially for someone so young. Yes, man. I mean, someone who's small body and, and, and small stomach. I mean, you uh -huh. think it would have but kicked I, in a lot sooner. This is sad, though, because I remember this story. I'm old enough to remember when this happened. How old were you when this happened? What was it, 70 what? 74. 74, I was seven years old. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so you de oh, you were in a prime time to hear about this story then. Yeah, man. I was like, whoa, boy. And your That's... parents were probably scared to hell, huh? Yeah. 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 So, Eesh. Bad news. Oh, yeah, for sure. He bent over vomiting, and I was holding him up when he just went limp, said O'Brien. Mm. Hinton recalled, I got a call from the Pasadena Police Department and they told me an eight-year-old boy had died. He was rushed to the hospital, but he'd already passed. 
Bill Lanier, then a detective with the Pasadena police, noted O'Brien, despite his son's death, wasn't crying or bawling or anything, but there was no reason to believe he was involved. Still, as detectives tried to figure out from which house O'Brien got the candy, the 30-year-old dad was initially of little help. At first, he kept saying, I don't know what home, then I don't know which streets, Lanier recalled. But they only trick-or-treated on two streets. Then he said he didn't see the person. All I could see was an arm. Yeah, that, that's not suspicious at all. Yeah, this arm's going to yeah. come out from around the door and hand you seven big-ass pixie sticks. There you go. Well, not just that, but he just keeps changing his story. You know, that's that yeah. right there is a red flag. Mm-hmm. A few days went by, and it was incredibly frustrating, said Hinton, the former DA. So they took O'Brien out again and were pretty firm with him. Suddenly, it seemed that O'Brien had an epiphany. He pointed out the home of Courtney Melvin. The only problem, Melvin, an air traffic controller at William Hobby Airport in Houston, had an airtight alibi. It turned out he was working that night, said Hinton. His wife and daughter were home, and he turned out the lights early as they'd run out of candy, he said. Something strange was going on. At that point, O'Brien was on the detective's radar. They began digging into the optician's past and discovered he had been fired from an astounding 21 jobs over 10 years. Holy shit. That is amazing. How that bad you got to suck to get fired 21 times over 10 years? I mean, that's right around two jobs a year. Yeah. What the hell are you not doing to get fired so often? That's crazy, man. He was also struggling with major financial issues, including $100,000 of debt. The possibility that money could be a motive for Timothy's murder became crystal clear after the investigators uncovered life insurance policies totaling $60,000 that O'Brien recently had taken out on his son and daughter. I found an adding machine tape, said Nassif, the former Pasadena detective sergeant. It had all of his bills written out next to the numbers on an adding machine tape. It came to almost the exact amount of which he stood to collect. Detectives later found out O'Brien called insurers the morning after his son died to find out about claiming a payout. What a cold-hearted bastard. No kidding. I mean, good God. You know, I mean... <sighs> Just not even, not even the kids still at the morgue. You know, he's not, he's barely even cold and he's already calling on, on kids, his uh, payout. And kids are such a blessing. And, you know, I think about my boys when they were little. I think about my grandbabies and stuff and how precious they are. And the level of evil in one's heart has to be, be, has to be off the charts for you to be able to poison your own kid for money because you're in debt. Yeah, try to poison and try to poison both kids, not just one, but both. Man, mm, mm. unbelievable. Other evidence pointing to O'Brien's guilt continued to mount. Hinton said, "It turned out O'Brien was going to community college. What the fuck? And in class, he would ask his professor questions like, "What is more lethal, cyanide or another type of poison? Why would someone ask that?" Research. First of all. First of all your ass is a hundred thousand dollars in debt. Yeah, you're an you're an optician. Why well, are you going to community college? Yeah, stop wasting that money on community college, and save that money to pay off your bills. You dumb fuck. No shit. God, 
His obsession with the poison continued outside the classroom, too. O'Brien wanted to know from an acquaintance familiar with cyanide how much it would take to kill someone. And a clerk at a Houston area chemical company recalled that not long before Halloween, a man had come in to see about purchasing cyanide, but left when he found out he had to buy it in bulk. I just want a little bit. I've only got Can about five little? or six kids to kill. I don't need a whole bunch. When he's like your neighbor coming by, coming over to borrow a fucking cup of sugar or a cup of First cyanide. First of all, cyanide's poison. What the hell do you even use it for in regular, you know, in regular application? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. I've never heard of any application where cyanide is used other than suicide pills. Right. You know? Stupid. Yeah, I haven't either. Yeah, that, that's he, he. He's he said he's an idiot. This is why he got caught. Yeah. The man from the store said he couldn't identify O'Brien, but he remembered that his customer was wearing a beige or blue smock like a doctor, noted Hinton. O'Brien was an optician. What the hell is an optician? Optician. (laughs) Optician. All this time I've seen optician, I'm getting it all fucking wrong. What is an optician? Maybe it's a uh, glasses guy. Oh, yeah, it is. I've been saying it wrong this whole time. So he ain't an obstetrician. He's an optician. He's an optician. Yeah, I just I've been reading. I've been giving him a whole new. Well, shit. He had twenty one jobs. Maybe at one point he was an obstetrician. <laughs> Dumbass. Yeah. That was exactly the uniform he wore to work. O'Brien was placed under arrest, but he refused to crack under pressure. O'Brien never confessed," said Lanier. He came close. I got him right to the line. O'Brien went on trial in May 1975. Danine always adamantly insisted that she was completely unaware of her husband's plan, and she testified against him. Good for her. The only inescapable conclusion is that this man killed his own flesh and blood for money, said then-prosecutor Hinton. Jurors agreed, and on June 3, 1975, they found O'Brien guilty on one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder after deliberating a mere 46 minutes, not even an hour. Yeah, that's I, and that's easy. Yeah, with that kind of evidence, yeah, I'd, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd have shot him on the witness stand if I'd have had the choice. <laughs> O'Brien? I'd stood, yeah, I'd have stood up and snapped his neck or something. I'm not, I'm not even <laughs> shitting. I, that kind of kid, I mean, that's even worse than the guy that was, you know, even though it was horrible, even the guy was at the trial for for the child molestation at the oh, church yeah. and mm-hmm. stuff. This is mm-hmm. worse than that. You know, I mean, molestation is God awful, you know, make no, you know, no doubt about it, but murdering children, your own children to pay off your debts is way more. That's, it's, that's even cold. It's even way more cold blooded. So cold blooded mother. Jeez. O'Brien was sentenced to death. Good. Almost 10 years later, on March 31st, 1984, O'Brien died on his last meal. Steak, fries, peas, and Boston cream pie. Why wouldn't it gave him shit? Before his execution by lethal injection. Let, oh, man. You know what's funny? I thought back then they were still using Sparky. Apparently not. They were. They went a whole different way. Damn it. If, now, if you're going to give this guy lethal injection, I would go the route of, if you ever saw the movie Law-Abiding Citizen, where he put the acid in the damn thing, changed it out. Oh, yeah. And fried mm-hmm. and basically boiled the guy from the inside out. Yeah. Yeah. This guy would not have died quietly. I'd have made him suffer. I'm sorry. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's not very Christian of me, but you know what? To hell with this guy for what he did. Oh, this guy's definitely in hell anyway. So Yeah. 
After authorities officially declared him dead at 12.48 a.m., the hundreds of people, some wearing costumes, who gathered outside the walls of the Texas State Pen shouted, Trick or treat. Bitch. I'd have thrown bitch in there. <laughs> Trick or treat, bitch. Yeah, no shit. You know, it's funny is I, I read that um, some of the people that were outside were actually were also a bunch of college students who were just so pissed at him for having uh, tainted the Halloween season. Because like you said, that after after that, like the Halloween season kind of went downhill. For like, I'm not joking, like 15 years before the city recovered from that. I mean, there were still like limited trick or treating, but they were talking about how you need to keep it to just people, you know, and all this crap. But I mean, I'm sitting there going, okay, you keep it to people, you know, this, this guy killed his own kids. So it's like, you know, where, where are you safe? But yeah, he wrecked it. Now, wasn't he, wasn't he did the guy that ruined Halloween? Yeah. He's known as several different names. Uh, He's known as the man who ruined Halloween, the man who killed Halloween. Yeah. He's also known as the Candyman, but um, the problem with calling him the Candyman is that whenever you do any sort of Google search for Houston Candyman, you're not going to get Ronald Clark O'Brien. No, you probably not. be like on page three or four. You're going to get yeah. Dean Coral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dean Coral, who was the serial killer in the '70s in the Heights, who actually worked at a candy shop that his family owned. Yeah, we'll probably so, talk about him next time around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he and he he's definitely the the better or the more appropriate version of he, he's he's almost kind of like a Texas's version of uh Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer worked yeah. in the chocolate factory, he so damn uh, sure did. Oh, yeah. Man. So yeah, crazy business. And with that, we have uh talked about ronald clark o'brien the dipshit who ruined halloween for houston for many many years and i'm gonna tell you what a great majority of my friends uh, are halloween fanatics love halloween yeah. and thank god that it has come back um, oh, yeah. you know and recovered and there's trick-or-treating i mean people still kind of suck you know you have to really go to good neighborhoods you know where people don't turn their mm-hmm. lights off at six o'clock and run you know I mean, get right. up there and have fun with it. Halloween is a blast. You know? I love Halloween. I do, too. I mean, we used to have some really great uh, Halloween parties when we were with the uh, ghost hunting group. Yeah, and we'll we'll do that again one day when we get things cranked back up. But, yeah, that's, yeah. This, I, I love Halloween. I'll never outgrow it. Yeah, yeah, same here, man. I, I love all things. October is probably one of my favorite months of the year, if not yep. my favorite, for sure. I hear that. Yeah. All right, man. Well, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can listen to us or where they can where they can send their friends to listen to us who aren't listening already? I will be glad to, sir. You can basically find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Skype. Not Skype. Skype. Oh, man. We're going <laughs> leave it in there. Warm, yeah, man. we're leaving it in a hardcore. <laughs> Spotify. And several other platforms. We're basically everywhere you listen. You can also find us on Facebook, of course. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. And now we even have the State of Fear podcast hotline. If you have a creepy story that you would like to share, why don't you give us a call and leave us a voicemail and we will play it on the show uh, on one of the later episodes. The number is 713-581-581. Four five five one. That number again, in case you missed it, seven one three five eight one four five five one. Absolutely, yeah. 
All right, bud. Well, why don't we go ahead and uh, hop in the car and get on down to the next state, shall we? Amen, brother. Let's get on down the road. What do you say? Let's do it. Take care, y'all. Happy trails.